Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Pastor, for this um, privilege that I've been given to uh, bring the Word of God tonight. It is an honor to um, close, close out, if you like, the year 2020 and uh, endeavor to um, give a challenge as we say goodbye to this year and hope to welcome the new year. Uh, we are grateful, my wife and I, uh, for, to God for allowing us to be here in Canada this time around, be able to spend Christmas with our, um, uh, our children here. And it is uh, uh, doubly exciting and uh, thrilling to see our newest addition to the family, our granddaughter, Leah, of course. And um, in spite of, or despite rather, the challenges of um, the time in which we are, in which we live, we're grateful that we have been given or granted the opportunity to come into this country, uh, despite of all the prohibitions that are uh, in place at the moment. Uh, anyways, uh, the Lord is blessing the work in Paraguay uh, again, uh, even though we are facing very challenging times, and just like you here in this church, we also at uh, the beginning of all the lock lockdowns, had to turn our church into a, a mini uh, recording studio uh, where we had to broadcast live. And uh, I guess uh, uh, one advantage of this, uh, of this challenge or this uh, event is that many pastors ha have learned to become um, media producers. And um, uh, we had to learn how to manage video and audio and so on and so forth. And so we have advanced our, uh, elevated a little bit our expertise in certain areas. But the greatest blessing I saw in, in terms of this as well is that the message of God's word has reached many places where previously we were not able to reach. During the times that we were doing live stream in Paraguay, our message, the message of, God, message of God's word was getting all the way down to Chile and some parts of Spain. So uh, we praise the Lord for the reach that God has given to our uh, using, if you like, the advantage that we have uh, with the technology that's, uh, that's available. And again, we're grateful for this uh, opportunity. Uh, our people just today had their uh, end of year banquet, which is uh, normally a Christmas, um, it has a Christmas emphasis to it, but more so a, a time to give thanks and uh, honor God for all his blessings in spite of COVID-19. Please take your Bibles this evening. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 5. And I would like to just read one verse before we pray and then uh, look at the context just a little bit and then get on with the message tonight. The Bible says in Isaiah, chapter 50, did I say 5? It's supposed to be 50. I'm sorry for those who are uh, taking notes. It's Isaiah, chapter 50. And we look at verse 7. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7. And the Bible says here, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be, be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. The last part of the, the verse says, Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. The message that I have prepared for us tonight is entitled, Face Like a Flint. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this evening. We thank you, Lord, for 
uh, allowing us to still broadcast your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the people that, that have tuned in to listen to your word. And I pray that even though we could not be together physically this evening, that you would knit our hearts together around your word. And I pray that your word would still be as powerful as it has always been in edifying your people. And if there is someone who is listening in at this point who does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that this message would somehow challenge them to realize that they need a Savior. As we face an uncertain future, we know that we can only depend and count upon you. We pray, Lord, for your blessing upon your servant that as I preach, you would use me according to your grace by your Spirit's power in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Old Testament, we find that Jesus Christ is typified or symbolized by uh, four faces. Such were the symbols used to identify four sections of the Israeli or the Israelite camp while they were camped out in the wilderness. Uh, we are, according to certain and many Bible students, we are, we are informed that the camp of Israel, while they were in the wilderness, was divided into four parts. There were the north tribes, the south, southern tribes, east and west tribes. And each section had, if you like, a representative symbol. One was the face of a lion. One was the face of an ox. One was the face of a man, and the other was the face of an eagle. Now we find that uh, these were related to the gospel uh, accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel writers were considered or described to be representing those faces as well. Matthew, for instance, emphasized the, the royalty or the kingship of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is ascribed to have been emphasizing the face of a lion, the lion of Judah. Mark, the ox the servanthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke, the face of a man, which emphasizes the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is interesting that if you study the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ through the book of Luke, that he traces Christ's lineage through Mary, not through Joseph. And that's emphasizing, if you like, that he was the seed of the woman. John emphasized the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, thus um, representing the face of an eagle. However, in the passage we have read this evening, we find that there's another face which, with which Christ is described, the face of a flint. Now, of course, we know that this is figurative. This is not necessarily typology. We find that this passage is a prophetic passage, Christ himself speaking, saying that he will set his face like a flint. Now, we know that flint is a very important piece of rock. The first time that the word flint is used in the scriptures was in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when the Bible talks about the day that the nation of Israel was thirsty and they needed water, that Moses struck a piece of rock, and it was a flint rock, out of which flowed drinking water. Now, flint is one of the hardest kinds of rocks. It is known to have been very useful over the uh, many centuries. It is, uh, in times past, it has been used as weapon. 
for weaponry. It has been used as um, a tool for building or cutting things down. It is also used by campers in these present days for lighting up fire. But if there's one thing about a flint rock that is really interesting and in how Christ describes himself or having a face like a flint is that it is hard. It is unbending. In Paraguay, we do have a description for the drivers that tend to take risks as having a hard face. We call that in Spanish, cara dura. You know, over here and over in Australia, and perhaps even in the United States, when uh, you drive, and uh, as I was learning how to drive, I remember a few years ago, my instructor said, uh, you are never to enter a main road or a main street from a side road when there's not enough gaps. There's not an, enough, there's not an, a gap enough for you to get in safely without causing the other drivers to slam on their brakes. Because if they were to brake suddenly, that means you are too close. You are causing danger to everyone. Well, that's how I learned to drive. But then, having now lived in Paraguay for the last 10 years, I had to adjust my style of driving. My wife now tells me that when we go out on a day drive, she says, uh, you drive like a Paraguayan. Well, you have to learn the system. Whereas in, in Australia or here, you have to wait for a large enough gap to enter a street. Over there, you have to have just enough gap for you to signal to the drivers coming in that you are going to go in anyways, and for them to be able to have enough gap to put on their brakes and avoid hitting you. And when you decide to go in, there's no looking back. Once you, say, once you, you think it's safe for you to go in, and they have enough room to take, put, slam their brakes on their brakes and stop hitting you, avoid hitting you, you just go in. And uh, sure, you might get some horns along the way and dirty looks along the way, but man, if you decide to go in, you go in. There's no looking back. That is what they call caradura, a hard face. Now, we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ here. And he said, and by the way, the context here is that he's talking about how that the nation of Israel had uh, ensnared herself and she has become, if you like, a slave to her own sin. And it's not because, uh, he says in verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom, I've, whom, I've have, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? You know, there was an accusation by the nation of Israel towards God saying, you have abandoned us. Well, he says, where is your proof? Your mother, basically the nation, where is her bill of divorcement? Because I did not sign one. I did not produce one. I did not abandon you. I did not divorce you. You are the ones who have gotten yourselves in trouble. I still have the power to, to redeem you. But you would not hearken unto me. You have rejected me. And we find that this is also a description of the world at large. Many people have said God has abandoned them. Well, God has abandoned this world, but it is actually the world that has turned its back on God. And yet we find in verses 5 onwards, it speaks of the coming Messiah and how he would redeem, how he plans to redeem his people. And in verse 7, he talks about that day, and this is going to be fulfilled in Luke chapter 9, and there we are going to turn right now. We see the statement of Christ saying, 
I have set my face like a flint, amplified in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, the Bible says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face that they, w- they went and entered into, the, into, the, into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did, did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. We find that ultimately Christ came to, towards the end of his earthly ministry and he was now about to fulfill the, the, the greatest reason, the ultimate reason as to why he came to earth to go to Jerusalem and end up on Golgotha's hill. We find that he had to face severe opposition along the way, and when he eventually got to Golgotha, and on the road to Golgotha, there was so much opposition, there was so much suffering, there was so much, if you like, discouragement, that would have been enough for anyone if he had not set his face like a flint to fulfill the Father's will, to turn him away and turn him back. In a nutshell, when we talk about having a face like a flint, or being flint-faced, it carries the idea of courage without the thought of retreating, of forward-facing without turning back. You'll find here... And the Bible says in verses 57 onwards, and we need to realize that verses 51 to 62 of Luke chapter 9 are interrelated thoughts. In verses 58 and 60, he talks about a couple of situations where he was encouraging certain people to follow him. And they had excuses as to why they could not. And ultimately, in verse 62, he says, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, of course, we need to realize that this is not lordship salvation. The Lord is not saying, you know what, unless you can follow the, the certain, uh, a certain list of requirements for disciples, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We need to realize that salvation is by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. We need to understand that Christ is the one who came to pay for the penalty of, uh, for for the sin of mankind. We understand that the only work that God the Father receives as sufficient payment for the sins that you and I have committed is the work of Christ at Calvary. Any other work that you and I depend upon to try and pay off, if you like, our sin debt. According to Matthew chapter 7, in the eyes of God, is a work of iniquity. So there's nothing you can do to pay for your salvation. And so therefore, what Christ is saying here is not for you to get saved, but rather for those who are saved to be worthy of the name disciple. We need to learn to have a face like a flint. The idea being flint-faced is to put your hand on the plow, and never look back. You know, I believe that many of us had faced many disappointments this past year. Uh, We had plans in in the beginning of last year, we had a vision night like many churches have. 
And for 2020, our theme was Vision 2020, a greater vision for a greater mission. We were planning a missions conference. In fact, Pastor White was um, hoping to get down from Central America and take, take a, a further trip down to South America and be our guest uh, speaker for that event. We had all kinds of dreams and visions. Everything was frustrated by all the lockdowns and all the quarantines. And I know that there are many who have personal, personal plans. And, uh, you know, the other day I was talking to Brother uh, uh, Devian, and obviously still Pastor Devian, and himself should have been by now, Pastor Devian and Mrs. Sundararaja. And so he had plans that are frustrated. Many of us are thinking, I hope that 2021 will bring in something better. You know what? There are, there are no guarantees. Who is there to say that things will only get worse before they get better? How do we know that things will just keep on getting worse until the Lord comes? We don't know that. But one thing we know, the Lord set the example for us to follow, that no matter what, we need to set our face like a flint and keep going, following the will of the Father for our lives. We find here, when we talk about the flint face of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the face of determination. The face of determination. The Bible says that even the Samaritans were offended because... Uh, Yes, he wanted to go through Samaria, but his face was set towards Jerusalem. The Samaritans thought that maybe on, on their mountain is the place to worship, not only in Jerusalem. But Christ was so exclusive in his focus, and nothing could deter him, nothing could turn him aside, because his focus and his vision was towards Jerusalem. There he will fulfill the Father's plan for you, your redemption and mine. This is the face of duty. We find... <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he said there, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. We need to realize that Christ took the courage. And this is, when we talk about having a, a face like a, a flint, we're talking about courage that is beyond any kind of Human prowess, if you like, or human daring. You know, there are two types of courage. There's the kind of courage that is natural to some people where, you know, they can jump into a, a situation without forethought because they are naturally courageous. They would just face the consequences later on. But then there's the other kind of courage where you know exactly the danger that you're facing. You know exactly the pain that you are going to be inflicted upon yourselves. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, counting the cost, but being willing to pay the price. Having counted the cost that death was going to come upon him, the perfect son of God, the just for the unjust, the one who has never disobeyed the father in any way, shape, or form, the one who has fulfilled the father's will, and every jot and tittle of that law was fulfilled by Christ, and yet he was facing a shameful death, the death that is worthy only for the worst criminals of his day. And so he said, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as thou wilt. 
he had a sense of duty. In, second, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, we know the passage. The Bible says, There let this mind be in you, as Paul was encouraging the Philippian, encouraging the Philippian Christians to become humble, to humble themselves, to put, on, to put on humility so that they might preserve the unity of the body of Christ in Philippi. He used the, the, the Lord's example. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, and let us read, the Bible says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the, the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. A flint-faced Leader, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, understood the meaning of duty. That he was here not on a vacation, he was here on a mission. And no matter what it took, and no matter how much pain it brought upon him, he realized this is what the Father has assigned for him to do since eternity passed. And so therefore... He was willing to go through with it. But not only that, we find that a flint face, a flint face is the face of delight. You see, Christ not only understood and was determined to follow the Father's will because it was his duty. And by the way, sometimes we think that the Christian life is all about duty. It's about you must do this, and you must do that, and you must not do that, or you must not do this. It's about those and don'ts. We need to realize that Christ was looking further ahead. You see, he saw the manger. It was going to be a shabby birth. He saw the cross. It was going to be a rough death. Yet he saw the tomb. It was going to be a glorious resurrection. He saw the ascension. It was going to be a, a glorious separation from his saints, and yet he also saw the throne that was waiting for him. And that's why the Bible says in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and hath given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should, should, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Going over, over to Hebrews chapter 12. Again, a familiar passage. I'm just trying to encourage you to look towards the future no matter what 2021 brings. And we are not guaranteed of anything except one thing. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are guaranteed that the promises of God are still true, that the word of God is still reliable, that God is still on his throne. As far as the events and circumstances of life are concerned, we do not know what 2021 would bring about. Quit thinking that just because 2021 will finish, or 2020 is finished and 2021 comes in, that all of a sudden it's like hitting a reset button. We don't, we don't know. No, what we know is that, is that God still deserves our loyal and faithful obedience. We find in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with 
so great a cloud of witnesses, let us say, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. This is him putting on a flint face, the face of a rock, undaunted and unbending, uncompromising. He finished our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be, ye be, ye be wearied in your ye be wearied and faint in your minds. We find that Christ managed to go through all of that because he looked beyond all of it and he looked with delight. And that's why there's a verse in the Bible that says, I delight to do thy will. When we develop a flint face, we learn to delight in the Father's will no matter how painful. Why? Because the next point that we are going to discuss, going back to Luke chapter 9, is the challenge given to his disciples. We saw the example of our Lord. And since he is our example and we are called upon to look unto him, he challenges his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 58. Let's go back to verse 57. It says, And it came to pass as they went in, the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds, uh, birds, of, air, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not, hath not to lay, uh, to lay his head. Now, we need to realize that a bird's nest and a fox's hole are comfortable places. That is, if you're a fox or you're a bird. But for a disciple, they're not. So what the Lord's, what Lord is saying is this. If you are to be a flint-faced disciple of Christ, you need to learn to obey regardless of earthly security or the lack thereof. That earthly security should not be the determining factor as to why you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I will only serve the Lord. I will only take on that pastorate if they can guarantee me a salary of $50,000 a year, a new car, and they will pay for my house and my health insurance. Other than that, there are plenty of other greener pastures to check out. When did the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ become such a business transaction? I know that not all of us think that way, but I believe that there are many Christians who would put their comfort and their security over obeying the will of God. This is the challenge to the disciples. Secondly, we find he said in verse 59, unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, stop me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now, we need to understand that culturally speaking, uh, he wasn't talking about his father being in the funeral home at this point. It is widely accepted by many students of the Bible that when a Middle Eastern individual says, let me go bury my father, he's saying, you know what, I could not let go of that duty of taking care of my parents until they die, and then I can serve you. This actually happened uh, 
in, in real life, when a young Arabic man was called upon by his king to serve in his army, he says, let me go first bury my father. And his father was kicking and strong as an ox. And yet they talk about that as a sense of duty to care for their loved ones. And so with that, we are saying that a flint-faced disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ will prefer, or rather will regard will as more important than emotion. What I'm saying is this, we must decide not being affected by emotional attachments. Now, by the way, may I say this, just to be balanced here, that we do have emotions. And sometimes we do have to look at the emotional um, sacrifices we have to make and weigh, like I said, the, the, the possibilities, count the cost, and prayerfully be willing to pay the price if that's what God is wanting you to do. I remember in 2015, we, go, we went back to Paraguay after a few months of furlough. And my wife and I have always had our children with us all our lives. In, in 2014, eventually, we had to bring them back to Australia. They were now getting older, and they ha had gotten behind in their studies. And we decided it's time for them to pursue their studies. And we went back to Paraguay ourselves, just the two of us. And I remember walking into that little uh, store that we were renting for our, our services there and looking at the stuff that my children left behind. For the first time, I felt an emptiness in my heart. I was so, away, so far away from my children that emotionally, I suffered. I almost threw in the towel rather and then because I missed my children so much. But that's when I had to make a decision. Shall I continue serving the Lord here because I, in spite of the fact that I miss my children, or should I quit? Preferring my emotions over will. I believe that God wants us to regard will. We find that the Bible says here, this man said, I will, but let me first. The Lord said, you know what? Let the dead, Lord, let those who are not saved, those who have no understanding of the gospel of the kingdom of God, take care of earthly things. But you who know the gospel, take care of God's business. Go preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. We find that the challenge to his disciples also is found in verse 61. Another also said... And, also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. Lord, I have friends. I have family. I have things that I have gotten accustomed to over, this, over the years, things of comfort. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. As says, the flint-faced disciple burns his bridges behind him. He will not allow himself the opportunity of looking back, of backward attachments. Why? Because as we bring this to a conclusion, we need to realize that looking back has its implications. Looking back, and this is the third point of our message, the implications of looking back. 
We looked at the example of our Lord, the challenge given to the disciples, and the implications of looking back. Looking back always affects hand hold. Christ is a carpenter, and it is assumed by many, or by some rather, through oral um, repetition and tradition, that Christ was an expert in making yokes and, and, uh, and um, plows. Apparently, as a carpenter, that's what he mastered to do because that's what most people used in his time. And that's why in many of his teachings, he talked about yokes and plows. So looking back affects the handhold. My, fa- my grandfather was also a carpenter and a, far- a farmer. Growing up on the rice fields of the, of the Philippines, I learned to plow the field when I was only 10 years old. We didn't use a wooden plow. We used a metal plow. But the principle is the same. My grandfather said, never let go of the plow and make sure your furs are straight. That's a problem with having a a grandfather who is a carpenter because he wants to apply the the principles of carpentry on the rice field as well. Make sure your your furs are straight. One thing that my grandfather hated was furs going zigzag. You know, I guess you can tell, you can say that my grandfather had OCD. That's probably where I get it from. He hated the idea. When he walked on on my furrows and he saw something, uh, the furrows crooked, and my grandfather was very quiet. He was a quiet man. And yet he would not stop scolding his grandsons if they did not do their job well. By the way, looking back affects handhold. Looking back reveals a competing love. It is because there's something behind you that maybe is attracting you to stay back. Looking back reveals an unsettled mind. The Bible says in James that an unstable mind, or rather a a double-minded fellow is unstable in all his ways. Looking back reveals a vacillating will. A vacillating will. In other words, that you are not settled. You are not stable. You're either for the Lord or you're not. But when you're constantly looking back, it's because you have not developed a flint face. It's because you are torn between two masters. Looking back results in a distracted focus. One of the things that we learned as I was in grade school, being an athlete, was that when you ran, you ran a straight course, you never looked to the side or to the back, that was going to be uh, automatic disqualification. And there's a reason why. You run a 100-meter dash, and I did that, and you, as you turn back, you lose your direction, you run into somebody else, you cause problems. That's why you are never allowed to look back. Looking back results in a distracted focus And of course, looking back results in crooked furrows as you plowed. We need to realize that the Apostle Paul was affected so much by the life of Christ. One who was previously an antagonist, killing all the disciples of Christ, but yet when he was converted, miraculously having seen the resurrected Christ, and later on would say, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
we find that he himself took on the life of Christ and he became a flint-faced disciple of Christ. To where, when he was faced with contradiction, he said in Romans chapter 8, and this is where we shall wrap this message up. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this, present, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature, creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And for that reason, he says in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. My challenge to you this evening is this, no matter what this year that is ahead of us brings about, no matter what disappointments this past year has brought about, we need to develop the kind of determination the Lord Jesus Christ had. Stay on the Father's will and delight in it because we know at the end of it all, the Bible says your labor is not in vain in the Lord.